September 5th, 2003. It's a Watt from Pedro show. <laughs>
Watt from Pedro Show. That's uh, the remix version. Iggy remixed Raw Power in 1996 because of all the complaints of the first mix, which was pretty trippy mix. In a way, Ron and Scotty were so small. Uh, for that, he opened up with John Coltrane something off of Living Space called Untitled 90320. It must be uh, some kind of label coding from the uh, record company or something. Uh, glad to be here. It's somewhere in September. Only one show last month. But Brother Matt, we're going to try to get a bunch in before I leave on tour. I have to leave in a week, for a week tomorrow night, do a couple more Stooges uh, gigs overseas um, um, one reason I played the raw power there was because um, a lot of people or some people are like asking me well why, when you're doing this uh, Stooges stuff now with the Ashton Brothers and Iggy why aren't you why are you just playing stuff off the first two albums why don't you play stuff off raw power what's up with that and uh the reason being, I mean, it was a different band. Uh, James Williamson, you know, came on. And uh, actually, they weren't, Ron and Scotty weren't even going to be on the album. They tried out some, uh, you know, Bowie brought them over to England. And uh, they tried out a bunch of rhythm sections, people on bass and drums, and just didn't work. So they called Ron and Scotty to come on over do that so it was kind of a completely different band and the first two albums that was actually uh, the real Stooges or the first version of the Stooges and uh, I understand completely why Ron I mean he loves those songs he told me he likes them a lot but just doesn't think it fits for uh, what they're trying to do with this uh getting back together and playing. Uh, of course, they don't have Dave Alexander anymore, but he's got another gig. <laughs> A big gig in the sky. Uh, no, no disrespect to Dave Alexander because he's uh, excellent bass player, big influence on me, and very honored to uh, try to fill his shoes. Uh, but uh, folks should realize that uh, these guys aren't machines or jukeboxes. They're going to play what they want. And, uh, you know, Iggy has never said, hey, let's do these uh, other songs. And then a big fight or some protests or anything. It's just an understood thing that uh, there's two Stooges on. Although they do um, a song from Iggy's new album. They do uh, Skull Ring. But that's a song Scotty and Ron play on, on the new album. I think it's going to be out the 1st of November. And, uh, yeah, tomorrow night I leave. And we're going to play a big festival in Spain in the Basque part in the north. And uh, then uh, some racetrack 100 miles southeast of Paris. I think after a race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, it's a trip for me. Last week I played two gigs with them. Uh, we made up the Detroit gig and then we did it. AIDS benefit for the lifebeat.org people in uh, New York City at Roseland. 
Uh, the Detroit gig was one of the most uh, intense gigs I've ever played in my life. Wow. I mean, it was, it was, I know it was a big deal, you know, coming home and to play for the cats there. And there was always, uh, from what I hear from the Ashtons and Iggy, a love-hate kind of thing with uh, playing home. Uh, but there was a lot of love, a very enthusiastic crowd. A lot of the cats weren't even born when they last played, you know. It, it was a trip. It was so intense. There was so much energy from the crowd, and we probably played the best out of all the gigs we've done so far. It was, uh, the band was really on. Scotty was grooving. Ron was wailing. Every Steve just McKay was blasting on the horn, and Iggy was the bow of the boat. I mean, this was incredible. Uh, you just, I mean, 56 years old, he just doesn't stop. And even uh, when he takes blows, like, you know, the guy just leaps out into the crowd like he's diving into a pool. <laughs> and this one time, there's these two huge guys, and he goes right into their arms, and they just threw him back, you know. I mean, he's built, great shape, but he's kind of a smaller man. And uh, they just flung him, and he hit the deck face first, and he was up, didn't miss a beat, didn't miss a word. No huffing and puffing. Uh, at one point, you know, he did need some water. And, like, nobody could, uh, I guess, uh, see his cues, you know, or, like, please on the mic, please, you know, water, water. So I think we were doing 1970, and uh, I went over and got a water bottle for him. It was kind of tough to play the lick. I might have fell off a little bit. But, you know, I, I wanted the man to have some... Uh, juice. I mean, he gives out so much. And in real cool time, he just uh, started asking folks to come on stage. And by uh, went into no fun, and it was 200 people, I don't know, 150, whatever. People were on the stage. And no no belage. Some cats were trying to pull his pants off. But, I mean, it wasn't... So he had some ma massive plumber crack on. But, you know, he's... He's all about being alive and human. And I think that's why he was uh, telling the kids, come on up. There's no no difference, no no moat, uh -huh. no uh, hierarchy, look up, look down kind of thing. Come on, you know, just folks, let's give it a go. And uh, I got kind of pushed up against my amps. Um, there was a lot of shit being thrown at us too. I mean, you know, and it, it's one of them clear channel things. So it's plastic beer bottles, but I mean, some of them were pretty full. So, and they're mainly aiming at Ig, you know. And uh, although he dodged most, and when he come in front of me, you know, they, I never got hit either. I dodged it. I could uh. see the stuff coming. So uh, uh, <laughs> it was pretty intense. The only thing I was scared of was uh, water on the deck because of my knees. You know, I didn't want to slip. Mm. That's it. Last time my knee went out like 12 years ago was because of beer on the stage and slipping. So that's the only thing I was really paranoid of. Uh, I was pretty much laughing. and uh, People, young guys coming up to me, you know, while I'm playing. And we're here, we're playing the song, and they're uh, asking me about gigs they saw me at. <laughs> hey, you know, I saw you at uh, St. Andrew's Hall with this is it the screaming trees? You know, I'm, I'm pulling on my arm, you know. Not belligerent, not mean. They just get caught up. I mean, I don't think anybody really expected they'd be on the stage. Yeah, this opportunity to jet. 
Yeah, and have a little spiel. You got to be nice feeling good this time, too, and not being all sick. Oh, yeah. I was totally aware of what was going on. That, that was a lot different than uh, the other dealio. Wow, I wonder why. One, two. Maybe that's why. One. Too many knobs to diddle with. I think I got the one, two. Try yours, brother, man. Yeah, we're over on this side. Hello. You over there? Check the one, two. Check the one, two. One, two, one, two. Ah. Seems I'm coming over on both sides. One, two. Okay. Boy. Anyway. <laughs> no, how that happened. One, two, one, two, one, two. Okay. Sorry about that. That's it's live like at behind the, the scenes. Love Grotto, Pleasure Point, Wild Kingdom, kind of technique there. Flying, trying as we're flying. So, uh, it was a, quite a rush. Quite a rush. You know, I, I really wanted to do well for them. I knew it was an important gig. And, uh, God, the Sonics were great. Sonic Youth played before us. And they were smoking. They were so good. I was so uh, really inspired on a lot of levels. So I could just imagine D. Boone uh, laughing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Do you believe what's going down here? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Yeah, it got to be a pretty big mind blow looking at it all in a backwards perspective from starting off days. Yeah. Maybe it'd be up there. Yeah, and I uh, so, just couldn't imagine it, you know. Um, but, uh, hey, it's in the now, it's in the moment, so I can't think about it too much. you got to do. So for all saying. the years playing all the, those songs in all the different variations that you've done them and now doing them with the real dudes, uh, of all those classics, you got a couple tunes that you have more fun or get off on that, that, that more than others? Couple uh, favorites. Oh, I like them all, man. I like them all. Uh, of course, TVI is an incredible groove and uh, fun house. I like. Well, I mean, loose. We open with loose, which is such a rush, so intense. It's like a train wreck, man. I mean, 1969. All, all the all them songs. Dirt. Yeah, Dirt's funny, you know, he goes, Mike, I'm going to ask you to do something here that I probably am never going to ask at another time. I said, what's that, Iggy? He says, on this middle part here, I want you to play some more notes. <laughs> and uh, Ron, that's a big difference from playing with these other bands. The other bands are kind of do more like Antlis and Jack Bruce. But with the the actual Ashton Brothers and Iggy, I play more like uh, Dave Alexander. And uh, it was funny because when Iggy saw that, Ron right away goes, but no noodling. And then uh, Iggy says right after that, yeah, no top ramen. <laughs> so it's like kind of hard to know uh, well, how much should I be playing here, you know. I don't want to be... Uh, Bogart and it's not a reggae band <laughs> but uh, it's really something 
it's really something. You know, how many things come first? Well, not first, but second, third, fourth, fifth hand. And this is like, yeah, first hand. I get to go right to the source. It's really so you get quite a maestro, huh? <clears throat> oh, yeah. Conductor. Bow of the boat. It's, uh... I feel like one of the kids, in a way, watching the gig, and I just have this bass on, and I'm playing along with them. You know? My eyes are on Iggy almost the whole time. Let's go over to Scotty. The Roseland gig was hard to hear. The sound was so bad, I'd have to run over there to their side to hear Ron's intros and Scotty's hi-hat and stuff. Because it, it was built in the 40s like for a, a dance club or something. So um. it's a ooh, kind of sound. So... Um, that gig uh, was kind of tough uh, mentally. I wasn't two together as much. Uh, pretty nervous. Not as bad as the Jones Beach one, but you know, the first one in Coachella, I was so sick I couldn't really be in aware. And then the first one where I was aware was Jones Beach, and it was kind of overwhelming and just the whole situation. And then it kind of came up on me again because the situation. I mean, you know, I got my friends there. And I just wanted, you know, like I said, I have this big responsibility, I feel, for the Stooges and doing right. But I don't want to play right for my friends. And there's a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings going through on me. And uh, I didn't have it as together as Detroit. Detroit was the best for me, focus-wise. And I would really rallied myself before that gig. And before the gig in Roseland, I got... Kind of nervous, <laughs> big time. Kind of uh, a, fl- a frazzled, fl- flustered. You know, even though I got a lot of gigs under my belt from all the years, so that stuff comes together. You know, almost like a momentum thing. Mm-hmm. So even if I'm in doubt and all this stuff, I can still push it through. But uh, sometimes emotionally, I'm not all together. <laughs> And they're, they're quite a challenge. But, you know, hey. Uh, I had to, uh, like my pop used to say, don't think, do. <laughs> Sometimes, I mean, when the moment calls on that. He said, you know what I mean? You just, and it's hard to uh, keep other things out sometimes. People are looking at, you know, <laughs> people you love are, are watching you <laughs> right there. And, uh, you know, like, uh, don't clam, you know. And, and of course, it's, you're going to have a better chance of clamming if. Uh, Thinking about it. Yeah, you know. And and then being aware that you can clam really isn't going to help that. Uh-huh. You know, oh yeah, you know, you could clam here. Yeah, no joke, you know. Even if you weren't thinking about whether you could clam, you could still clam. So it's just another layer of anxiety. Song, you know, just think you only have to do it. Results are always perfect. That's old news. <laughs> I don't know about perfect my case. But, <laughs> I mean, I can, I'm trying to aim high. <laughs> and uh, it's also a funny trip. I mean, to see uh, Mr. Iggy, Senor Pop, work is intense. <laughs> I mean, it's just such, it's mental floss. It just clears away everything, every cobweb you might have in your mind, you know. And so, in a lot of ways, the only way to react to it for me is, is laughing I can't believe it you know it's just too overwhelming the guy 
really lets yeah. it all hang out. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's inspiration. A, I felt like a kid in the crowd when I was down at Coachella, you know, and, and just just busting out laughing. He was doing his sexy man dance and just going off and, and, and yelling, fuck you, fucking <laughs> motherfucker. It's so funny at the end of uh, <laughs> L.A. Blues, you know, I am you. I am you. You know, he's telling these kids I... 30 years younger than 35 years it's, it's great I think uh, anybody come and see Iggy Pop and the Ashton Brothers play would be charged up to start their own band easy yeah, yeah. or write a book or uh, make a film or do a painting I mean you know what I mean it's just so affirmative so empowering their whole trip release wild let the freak flag fly thing. It's great, and those songs are timeless. Mm -hmm. So timeless. They'll never seem out of date. And the words are trippy enough where you can make them almost about anything. Mm -hmm. You know? It's, it's a great thing. Great thing to be part of. Now, uh, in the middle of last month, uh, the Sonics came to town. After that blackout thing, and uh, they were doing uh, this. Uh, Allison Anders put on this festival called uh, "Don't Knock the Rock," and they played a gig. And then the next day, they had this thing where the Guitar Center or the Shit Hard Center <laughs> has this like kind of thing, like Man's Chinese Theater. You know, it used to be called Grommans. <laughs> corporate thing okay anyway where they got the uh, movie star actors hands and, you know footprints mm. in the cement well not to be entirely original shit hard people have done the same thing with these um, people doing music a lot of them are like you know whatever <laughs> you know rock rock star or whatever but they their songs. They asked the songs to do it. So they came there. It was a big dealio on Sunset Boulevard in front of the store, you know, and then putting their hands in the cement. And they had folks. Uh, well, they told me this. Thurston asked me, you know, hey, why don't you say something because we're gonna have these folks talk about us and everything. Well, when it came to do, you know, I was. Uh, it was that KLOS guy, Jim Ladd. He like this. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Michael DeBar <laughs> okay kind of talking about themselves really and then uh, they bring me and Thurston pulls my shit come up and, and it, like I'm the big uh, in introduction to this thing you know and it was funny in the Detroit gig well the Black Dow gig so but we were there in town I conk during the night and, you know I conk on the deck and I woke up I was reading uh, Nick Tosh's new book in the hand of Dante and I wrote I guess I was rolling around you know in my sleep and I woke up with the book on my head my forehead like TP <laughs> and uh, you know I looked at it and I saw what was written on the page and it made me you know think of people Somebody, you know, whatever. But I, I kind of thought, whoa, you know, this is kind of like uh, 
There's this trippy passage. I think it's Dante touches right about Dante himself. It's a young kid or something looking up in the sky trying to figure things out. But the, the, the way he wrote it and stuff made me think of uh, when me and D. Boom first saw the Sonic. So I thought, hey, I'll, I'll read this. You know, I thought he was going to be part of this old dealio and so it'd be one little dimension. So it was kind of abstract, you know. <laughs> To say the least, and especially for all this merch stuff and, and these folks, and I and I read this thing, you know, uh, kind of nervous, you know, I didn't know so much attention, you know, and you could just, well, Thurston said later it was like question marks were hanging all over, <laughs> you know, and uh, people telling me who were watching it, you know, said yeah, you know, Carmen Apathy was like oh, behind you on your shoulder you know, with the big. <laughs> it was a kind of surreal juxtaposition and some imagery there, to say the least. And then the next day, next night, Thurston read some poetry at this place in uh, West Hollywood. Um, he, uh, yeah, what was that? I can't remember what it was called, but it was on Fairfax, a little place, a little gallery. And, uh, he had written an introduction for this lady's book, George Ann, something. <laughs> I can't remember her name. She's a really sweet lady, a poet. And he wrote an introduction for her book. Uh, he knew of her through the right and didn't really know her personally until a couple weeks before this. And then uh, what he did was read some poems and then read the introduction he wrote. And then me and Raymond, I, I went with Raymond Pettibone, and we had to go uh, right after him see Arthur Lee in love, which was great. Was the last time we see it, saw Arthur was maybe ten years ago before he went to jail. And um, he didn't get one song out. He was tripping on mushrooms. And so this was a real good gig. But anyway, I had my little machine and I taped Thurston reading poems. And uh, that's what I'd like to play for you from August 19, 2003, West Hollywood. Here's Thurston Moore on Watt from Pedro Show. Okay, it's good enough. Uh, my name's Thurston, and I'm here in honor of Georgian, whose uh, book, The Western Witch, season of that, has just been published through Percival Press. Um, my association with Georgian is uh, fairly fresh, I, I think. I, I just met her uh, about a week or two ago, and I, uh, I knew Georgian's name just from her name, just through her, I guess, art and um, I didn't know her personally, but I was, uh, I've been editing a poetry journal for the last uh, few years called the Ecstatic Peace Poetry Journal. And um, I do it out of Western Massachusetts, uh, where I live right now. And a friend of mine who also lives around there, uh, this fellow Byron Coley, who some of you may remember from him living here in Los Angeles uh, in the 80s, early 80s, when he used to work at Rhino Records. And he's associated with SST Records. <clears throat> he, uh, we were sort of concerned because the poetry magazine uh, seemed fairly um, rife with uh, with male uh, words, and we were looking for more women uh, to write. And uh, it, for me, it, it didn't seem a problem because I live in a, a women's community. Uh, my household is very women dominated, <laughs> and so <laughs> uh, most of my friends are. are or uh, women, and so I would just always ask for poetry from my friends, and um, Byron wanted to reach out beyond the borders, and he uh, said he was very interested in trying to contact George Ann, 
for some poetry. And I wasn't quite sure how he knew that you were a writer, a poet, beyond the fact that you were a visual writer. But do you, you know? Actually, Gary Pan told me to send some stuff to him. And I sent some stuff to him, and then he didn't respond to me. And I took such offense to it that I didn't try again for a year. Oh. <laughs> but it turns out that he never got the stuff. But that's just how fate is, you know. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I never knew that. That's very interesting. Well, anyway, so the three Gary Panther, uh, who is a conduit to Byron of George Ann's work, uh, we were really we were really into George Ann's work. We published it in the, a few times in the Poetry Journal, and uh, I didn't know anything about her. I didn't have any sort of vision of her whatsoever, except for through her, her words. And I started looking at her various websites that has on her work, and so I was kind of intrigued, and um, I just met her a couple weeks ago when she curated the, the Danny A. Cree show at Bergman, which was an amazing show, and um, so it was nice to meet her. And she asked me to write a forward to her book, which I'll read at the end of the, my reading. Um, so I'll read a few things, I'm, I'm a little uh, just kind of freaked out doing this, but I'll... I'll uh, <laughs> these, these poems are kind of hard to read, I think, for anybody. Uh, this first poem is called Peace Attack. 3 Feb 03 Peace, Peace Attack. Early book whistling, whistling earth, whistling earth day off. Nature sex, nature sex, yawn, winking, reminder of the great, of the great anti-hate. Springtime is wartime. All eyes to the crime boss. Electric guitar string, belly flowers. That was written for Alan Ginsberg. This poem is called Death Girl. Darling on the street, throbbing blood mind, milk bust sophisticate. It's not so much the coupling, but the mayhem. January. Non-musician, Ninth Street Lord, shut down by snow, bored with energy. Fallen woman pose, aching sex life, a basket of cool milk, all of you, and a word for the archive. New Hampshire, this is uh, for Aerosmith. <laughs> trace paper flying word, trace paper flying word break, city scoot high, city scoot high alert. Kill us, your skunk fight blues. Kill us, your skunk fight blues, blues. Johnny Winter, Johnny Winter no show. B.B. King just turns on the New Hampshire boys. Steve and Joe have gone beyond doing it for life. Unlike Buddy Guy, who has decimated the riff bat with one hypertonic note. Lead on, lead on. <laughs> Industrial noise. All my heroes turned out to be impudent snobs, self-involved blobs. You turned me on, square O. We dig harsh electronics. God bless Joey. Newspaper delivery. Bless her to further degree. Protect her, let her go. Dancer, poet, 
spy, lesbian, nun, rock action, drummer, singer, theater goddess, film destroyer, a shocking figure in the eye of your universe. Oh, shitty guitar, we walk down the Bowery, down the street, flashing time, Ginsberg Orlovsky sitting stoops, holding hands on the subway, how dare they, beautiful in the heat, daring, daring young old men, blondies crying, chickens dead or almost dying. It all comes crystal clear with Lou Reed checking out Ramones, best band in the world, he knows. Oh, shitty guitar, smash through Allen, Corso, Burroughs, Berrigan, Second Avenue Stroll, Anarchy, Cigarette and Beard. Send the moon through the skylight, bells together outrageously, noise ball, flirtatious example. Here comes something unbeknownst to pop scribes. Their search for tunes is over. They are angry and bored. There is danger, this is music. These are our killer tunes. Bubblegum, disaster. Who was loudest? Well, fucking White House at the Mud Club, that's for sure. I can still hear it, and it was 1984. Even louder were fucking the dictators who played an inanely loud set at the Blitz Benefit in 1978 at CBGB. Jesus, that was fucked. And fucking Neubauten at the Ritz in 1989 or some shit. Fucking painful. <laughs> Smoking ghost, pull my trendy tweed, cross canal, positioned forever against the street pole, West Broadway and North Moor. The gang smokes and hangs hot, steamed August, cool leaf November, dead beat memory. Who can save me? Debbie Harry's bed, rapacious lovemaker, hot sex comics, salacious city love, cool sex loneliness. Can't even begin to think. 75. Patty Smith wore a black motorcycle jacket, black hair, eyes wet, alive, looking over rock girl's shoulder. Smiling skin, white like clouds, skinny young white black rock and roll magazine, America's only rock and roll magazine, heavy shit, street scene, street rock, New York City, velvet, stooges, dolls, new, deadly, Patty Smith is new, news, poetry, record reviews, lowercase, subterranean, all the way downtown, boarded up streets, Bowery, no disco, typewriter words, black on white, jacket, hair and eyes, poems and rock and roll, punk poems, punk poemist. Seventy-eight, I could never sleep. Sweltering hell of 13th Street, I may be the only skinny lapel on the block. Can hardly pay $108 a month. Lydia Lunch lives down the street, but I never see her. Well, once in front of the laundromat, ring in her nose, frightening and beautiful. We were only 20 years old, but she had already killed many, many people. <laughs> this is unsubmitted ad copy for Nels Klein's sad CD. The only replacement for money 
is no money. More money makes more money worse. This is sad, but sad is good. Nineteen ninety-five. Sonic Youth is playing a tiny club in New Orleans with Unwound and Paulo, and the place is a pressure cooker ready to blow. A girl in the audience scales the club wall, stands precariously on a lighting rig beam. We have to stop playing and coax her down. Kim asked her why she's up there. She explains she can't see, and for thirty dollars she wants to see. We tell her that tickets are only $15. <laughs> and she confesses she had to buy one for her boyfriend. <laughs> Kim says, that was your first mistake. <laughs> I think it's one more. Can't catch me. I'm syntax-free, I'm preconceived preternaturally. I don't invest in what is best. Your once and for all means shit to me. Hate translator, hate translator, hate translator, you can't catch me. Don't mistake her, don't mistake her. You don't mutate her, you can't get me. The radical beacon, the pre-verbal season, the abstract poetics of immediate treason. Do you remember reductionist lie, the fundamentalist alibi? Hate castrator, hate castrator, hate castrator, don't fuck with me. Don't you break her and don't deflate her. Don't outdate her or you'll fuck with me. It's a cushy job, a pussy's job, a cum junkie's job. Makes her dick throb. Feel ineffable. Can't catch me. I'm syntax free. I'm preconceived prehistorically. Don't be alarmed, don't be alarmed, don't be alarmed. It's only me. Come back in my arms, come back in my arms, come back to my arms, the ineffable me. Okay, I'll read one more, and then I'm going to read um, just this, this short introduction I did to Georgian's book. <clears throat> I did not fade from the noise meditation. I stopped abruptly while spinning down. This is not a vanishing act. It is a gesture in silence for the sweet retreat the heart has made in regard and honor to the activist girl. Now, I wrote this before I knew or had ever talked to Georgian, let alone I ever saw who Georgian really was. <laughs> and so, Keep that in mind, I suppose. <laughs> Georgian is an out of sight name. Teenage Georgian in Texas backyard, transfixed by high, high sky, profoundly ID'd by the name. Cool, like sucking a blue ice pop in a joint to the wicked heat at the Texas Pop Fest. Blast, mom like a magnet spun around, repelling, yet so utterly conscious of same soul. The connection, beautiful, yet breached by poles to new L.A. But the love is sanctified beyond this mortal realm of infuriation. All is forgiven in heaven, so let's rock. What do you see? 
Darby Crash's house in Santa Monica, Michael Morley's blustering fauna charge in Dunedin, New Zealand, psychedelic brown hand tent for space opera, your lover's hand, steel gray stamped for delivery, deep color fun and wink to surface kick, where's the time, go, words drop as magic as paint, and it's all home free for George Ann, gifted with the name of a poem.
Watt from Pedro Show. That was a English band called The Names from a while ago. With uh, I wish I could speak your language. Before that, something new from Joan Baez, Caleb Meyer. Thanks, Juan Rosenfelder, for turning me on to that. And we start off with Thurston reading his poems, talking about George Ann and her new book and that stuff. Um, kind of trippy show. We're doing a show uh, pretty early today, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of cool. unusual on a Friday. Yeah, um, do it whenever we get time. We got the time. <laughs> Sorry for only one show in uh, August, but didn't have the time. So, so any new developments with the uh, the site? Getting more time or some well, yeah, I'll be able to, to tell you about that, that next a hour. Bit. Yeah, uh, hang tight. Done with hour one here. Coming next. Hour two on the Watt from Pedro show, somewhere west of the Rockies, north of the equator. September 5th, 2003, it's the second hour of the Watt from Pedro show.
sorry about that. We had some uh, pilot error. Uh, that was Don Fleming doing James Brown tune called Pe- uh, People Wake Up and Live. An interesting take on that tune. And we started off uh, the second hour here with uh, No Use for Me by the 88. Something that uh, somebody gave me in the mail. <laughs> so uh, sometimes you just roll the dice and then pay the price. <laughs> Brother Matt, uh, uh, tell us about your adventures with the Burning Man. Well, this year my Burning Man adventures weren't quite up to my expectations. <laughs> it was still great. There was like 35,000 people out there. And uh, it was classic Burning Man. Just for me, I could not click in. I don't know if the heat it happened once before. Or just like I could not function on a cellular level. And uh, so I, I hung out just in our camp, pretty much, and that, that was fun. We had a cool camp, and uh, people were still coming by. It's nice to see all our friends that you, you, you made out there over the years, you know, from uh, the last trips. Yeah, from past, and uh, so, but just not functioning. Took a lot of fun out of it. So I end up. Uh, taken off splitting that and that was a whole nother trip um you like, got sick yeah yeah i was sick out there in the desert and uh that's really no place to be sick um plus our man once i get sick then everything wants to make you sick you know like our yeah, rv and the fridge didn't really work so every, all the food was stinking in there so that <laughs> would make anybody want to puke rancid um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, there was still plenty of fun and and, uh, wild art and uh, good old craziness going on out there. Any difference from last year's? Um, Well, does a lot of people necessarily make it a good thing? It's huge. The quality of people. There was a lot of new folks, you know, so they were having their mind blown. Was there a frat thing? Uh, You know, it seemed like by putting the price up, and that, uh, oh, know, it was more expensive this year. Uh, I think it was about the same, but the the it was still pretty expensive. You know, they get the grade if you get your tickets early in like April or March, whenever they're like around one thirty or something. Uh, if you get them the week of the event, they're more like two fifty. So wow. that really cuts out a lot of that fratness of uh, people <laughs> just popping in for the weekend. Yeah. To to get drunk and crazy, so you get more people who are into building the place. And um, the 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 price is nuts, you know. Since we paid for it with taxes and stuff, it's just wide open land. But the way it sits, it's on like three counties, and you got to deal with the state and the federal, the BLM people. So everybody figures this this place is barren all year, and now they got thirty five thousand people come to to cut loose, and uh, they figure they can really crank up the budget you know and they do the major soak um so it seemed like the cops were staying in the background pretty much so like a couple years ago they kind of wanted their presence known yeah and now they seem like uh you know they're giving tickets out for stuff but uh they stay in the background pretty much what state is it nevada 
Yeah, yeah, it's Nevada, about uh, two, three hours north of Reno. So it's way out there. It's like Washoe County, uh, uh, Pershing County, and Lyon, I think. Was there an that, opera? Did no, Pepe no, do an opera? No opera. Pepe, oh, Pepe is, uh, he's got a new venture going now. He's been getting into documentary filmmaking, so he's been going down to India. He spent like nine months traveling with gypsies across India. And this, this is the second documentary down there now he's done. So he he's back and he's like in total edit mode, you know, so he didn't want to break the flow. Was he in the man there. at all? No, no. Oh, this wow. year he wasn't involved at all. So it was trippy. Uh, my friend Ray Serino, he does Water Woman. He wasn't out there. Um, What's Water Woman? Water Woman is just this uh, kind of one of the most identifiable pieces of art out there besides the man. And uh, she's about a 25 foot tall woman in this like aqua blue color. And um, her tits are really like platforms for water bags, you know? So, like solar shower? Um, it could be, you know? <laughs> Normally, there's like a hose that runs up secretly along your leg, and then its nozzle would be placed at your crotch. And she's standing there in this like silhouette like pissing type pose. so it kind of looks like it could be a, a piss uh, you walk between her legs and take a shower from the nozzle Golden between her shower. legs so yeah sometimes they put different colors in but uh, yeah Ray's really a creative a creative master uh, but he wasn't out there he's he's in a mud hut seminar or something like that getting off the power grid type thing so that's one of the things about Burning Man is it happens out in this place but People are now taking it back home with them and bringing it to the communities, you know. So it's more like an alternative to being the consumer, um, you know, mindless trough. Yeah, to to being a participant in your life and and taking it back to your communities and doing doing stuff. So so Ray was, I guess, he's uh, one of the trailblazers doing that taking it home now. okay what was the best art the you saw at the burning man um i really was stoked to see the swimmers again there the swimmers are like uh i guess they're paper mache people kind of like a mannequin but uh they look like they're in the swimming in the dirt because the playa is just it's like one of the flattest places on earth and it's like being on another planet and um they got a strobe light. You crank it with it like a pedal, and the strobe light starts activating, and it looks like these things are swimming in the dirt. It's crazy. <laughs> I got like right up in it, and like their mouths open, like they're breathing, coming up out of the dirt, totally stroking. Wow. It's really incredible. Speaking of planets, the brightest thing in the sky right now is Mars. What did, Could you yeah, see it out Mars there? Yeah, Mars was big and clear out there. It was, yeah. it was, uh, the stars are so many out there because it was no moon at that time, new moon time. Right. Um, so that's neat because uh, over the years, they've been out there for like full moons, eclipses, um, and this was a no moon. Rain. Time. Yeah, rain, extreme 100-mile-an-hour winds. Yeah. You know? um, so... You really kind of feel close to the place by experiencing all. It was calm weather this time, though. Uh, there was some wind and and dust storms, not as intense as in the past. Basically, weather was pretty nice. Sometimes it was even beautiful. Um, nighttime was pretty great. 
um, was never really freezing like it had been in the past. Um, but uh, we had a little art car this year, which was a cool trip, except it, it broke down. It was a little B. The theme was Beyond Belief, so so uh, old Shuby out in Venice and, and folks made this little golf cart into a B-looking thing, cruising on Cushman. it. So, yeah, the city's like seven miles across. So if you're pedaling or walking all day, yeah, you you put some some miles in. Um, so having an art car this year was really a cool new twist. Plus, you get to meet a lot more people that way too, because everybody wants to ride. <laughs> um, so there was Pinky's camp was going off. That was a great great uh, spot on the other side of town. Uh, friend Pam in Memphis, she uh, set me up a cool little summer home. So that was right on a beachfront property uh, near Center Camp, uh, next to the opera people. Because there's still, even though it wasn't an opera, there was still some of the opera people out there. Grady with his monkey chant people. Um, and uh, so so Pam set me up a cool little summer house. I made it a few times. I had my own teepee to go crash out in the other side of town. So it was nice having a couple options because the place is so huge. And then the old Jack... Um, was up on the far side. He had like beachfront property on the back. It, it set up like a three quarters of a circle around the man kind of and concentric rings going out. So those are like your streets and boulevards. So uh, you got like actual neighborhoods built out of camps and stuff and people go off with the whatever their camp is going to be about. And uh, so it's it's an adventure every day gets more intense because uh you know monday it starts some people are out there like my friend dark angels out there for months man he sets the place up and uh there's nobody's really bitching being out there like before there's like a hundred people or less in the whole desert um and then just seeing every day getting more intense more people come more stuff's getting built um it, it's it's crazy <laughs> to be out there at nighttime is just mind mind boggling. You hear so many sounds coming bouncing around off the plaque. You just move your head like a dog, you know, or, or antenna, and you just it's like changing the radio station. You, know? you get all <laughs> these new sounds coming in. It's cool just laying in your tent. You get the wild mix of all these playa sounds. So yeah, even though I didn't feel that good, it's still like uh there's nothing else like it so now what about your ride home my ride home was a trip because i was feeling so crappy i wasn't even there when the man burned i took off that that day because uh well i continued to be out there puking miserably um so i got a ride from our camp which is on the streets gospel and uh revealed right on the corner uh so we were way down in the noisy section got to ride to center camp then the green tortoise classic bus line they're like the burning man bus line so they got like a little loop going uh from from black rock city burning man to uh gerlach and empire two little mining towns empire is really just a gas station and a general store and uh it's pretty much the middle of nowhere and that's where i got i got off and uh, normally it's not too tough to get a ride. I was hitchhiking back to Reno. And uh, I flew this year instead of making the hell ride out there. So that was a great new thing for me. But 
I'm standing in Empire hitchhiking, my slaps in a little, little bag, tank top, in the middle of nowhere. It was like classic desert picture. No cars are coming because it's like hours before the, the main event that everyone went to. The few people that are straggling by are so loaded, they don't have room for anything. You know, loaded like with their, their load in their car. Um, and and there was no no hope, you know, nothing was happening. I was standing there for a couple hours, but at least they had a root beer float because they had some ice cream. And being in the desert, man, for so long, just, it was weird drinking. Parched. Yeah, man, I didn't have, our water system was like having an oil can full of water, you know, and a Gatorade thing. It was warm in the sun all day. So uh, having that root beer float was a dream. And, uh, Finally, this van was coming by. I figured, screw my thumbs, not working hitchhiking. So I just put my hands together like I was praying. And uh, the dude drove past me. But he felt guilty or something. So he pulled over down the road. So I ran down. This Indian dude picked me up. I said, man, I was just praying for a ride. And he'd give me a ride like two hours to the freeway and drop me off. He was heading back to Texas. And uh, thank you, dude. Um... So then I'm stuck in this place, Fernley, um, which wasn't getting much action on the ride deal there. But fortunately, Mark Rad from Pedro, he just moved to Reno a couple months ago. He lived across the street for years. And uh, he was in the Minuteman video, King of the Hill. Um, oh, wow. So uh, I just called him up out of the blue. He says, never home at that time. He was home. And he drove out there and picked me up the rest of the way. So, yeah, he, we had a good time. Hung in Tahoe, did some swimming up there. I never really got to hang up there before. So that really sweetened sweetened up the miserable part. Um, and uh, flew. We had to hassle with the plane because uh, security stuff, airport. Uh, I was supposed to go to Orange County, which was mellow, but had to go to LAX and get the hassle. But uh, overall, alive and well. And uh, back in action in Pedro. Oh, great. At school. And uh, this thing just went on the blink because it was sitting there during the ramble. <laughs> That's so. okay. We're getting things set up for Brother Matt to do uh, another edition of his spin cycle. Here on the Watt from Pedro show, uh, last days of summer. Yeah, it's bunk. At least it's sunny today. Yeah. Here we go. The first is yeah. that whenever you listen to this record, have a notebook handy and make notes as we go along. The second is that this record was produced for your own personal use, to go with you on your own exciting journey. To play this record for a group will prove to be of only temporary help. Make sure you have your own personal copy to play again and again, particularly at those times when you may feel yourself getting off the track.
desire the better things of life or you wouldn't be listening to this record.
Oh, 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 oh,
September 5th, 2003. It's the third hour of the Watt from Pedro show. I should explain, uh, we ran over, kind of. I had to talk to Sally at the studio, tell her about the chili pepper tour. Well, I'll tell you guys after, but what we should do here is uh, get to part 31 of the fourth tower in Inverness. Lord Jowls and Jack Flanders are preparing themselves for a long voyage. A voyage they hope will take them to the source of the strange jukebox that plays the old 50s music. As we look in, we find them preparing for their voyage. They are now packing provisions into a small sailboat. That's quite a breathtaking design printed on the sail. It's a mandala, isn't it? Yes. I have several different mandalas. Uh, this one I chose specifically for this voyage. Well, what exactly is the significance of a mandala? Well, briefly, it's a, a technical aid. Is that all you have to say? Obviously, it assists to open the mind to the experience of higher dimensions. So that sail enables us to move from one realm to another? That, and other aids. Hmm. I, I take it this boat is supposed to fly? Mm, I believe so. You mean you don't know? It's only built for one, but it can carry two. I hope. Hmm. Well, shall we? To the launching pad? Well, where is that? I'll carry the bow. You carry the stern. Here we go. It's this way. Here we are. This is the spot. Perfect. A lovely grassy slope, wouldn't you say? Yes. Boy. Hey, wait a minute. You mean we're going to slide down that hill and then and then shoot off the edge of that cliff? Of course. Wow. And I'm supposed to be relaxed by the time we reach the cliff? A true test. Hmm. Well, shall we? I'll man the rudder, and you take to the bow. Me? At the front? Of course. I'm no keener to watch that black abyss approaching than you are. Yeah, and since you're the captain... Exactly. Mm. Right too. All set to give the old girl a shove. Mm -hmm. Heave ho and off we go! The small sandalwood sailboat slides down the slope. The flat bottom of the boat skims across the slick green grass. The craft picks up momentum. Faster and faster... The long, shiny blades of grass pass in a blur as the black edge of the cliff approaches swiftly. And then suddenly there it is, from silver green beneath to blackness, and they're over the edge and aloft. Flies. Quite. I admit it is rather startling. You can say that again. Quite. I admit it is rather startling. You can say that again. Quite. It's slightly different than flying on a carpet, but the general principles are the same. The wind doesn't the rest. Hey, how wide is this desert of burning desires? 
it's impossible to measure in our terms. It's relative to your desires. The more difficult or greater the distance. What if we're getting down to basics is important? Like, for instance... I believe we're approaching the desert. I heard a voice. A mere shimmering mirage of this strange desert, my boy. Look, now you can see it. The desert. And there it is indeed. And are you ready for this one? Far ahead lies a region almost beyond the imagination. A desert of slowly shifting sands. A dull smoke-colored light that shapes itself into forms. Moaning, tormented beings that are somehow familiar to Jack. And very disturbing. Yes, this is the realm of the Pretters. Beings that cling to the objects of desire without a possibility of satisfaction. Restless spirits filled with unsatisfied passions, leading a ghost-like existence in a world of imaginary objects of their desire. These are the beings that often haunt the places of their former existence, to which they are fettered by their unsatisfied desires. They're ghoulish wallers with spindly, dried-up limbs and bloated bellies, tortured by insatiable hunger and thirst, without being able to satisfy them. You'll note that what little they are able to swallow through the narrow gullet of their nets causes them unspeakable tortures, since food is indigestible for them and merely bloats up their bellies. And whatever they drink turns into fire. Poor babies. Is there no hope for these pitiful creatures? Only if they can succeed in replacing unwholesome objects with wholesome ones. Then these suffering beings may be liberated from the tortures of unquenchable desires. Hmm. As the small boat sails above this insane desert, the forms lash at the fragile hull. The old adventurer suddenly awakens from his own disturbing thoughts. I say, Jack, snap out of here. Hmm? My golly, watch, watch out for those hooks. Oh. They're, they're reaching over the side. Pick up one of those silver oars and give him a good whack. What, what are these speakers for? By Jove, I forgot. This will bite through that moaning. Good grief. That's, that sounds like the Madonna Vampira. Uh, we'll feed them a little of their own, eh? Keep alert now. There's one for the Queen. And another for Prince Charles. One for Henry Higgins. Such a nice fellow. Hold on a second. It's time for tea. Tea? Now? You keep them at bay while I pour us a cup. Just one on. Make it two. Ah, flat. Look at this dash of milk. That's not cricket. I say, get your sandy fingers out of my cup. Mr. Flanders, I regret to say, a great tragedy has fallen upon us. Oh, no. What could be worse than this? The milk, alas, has gone off. Oh.
me They said, how true They said, not you They thought, how wise And thought, goodbye You hit your stride And missed the high They gathered by me And laughed at me They said, how true And said, not you They thought, how wise And thought, goodbye You hit your stride And missed the high
show oops didn't get that up quick enough um, that's Marsha Ball another woman's man before that we had Sparks with Ride'em Cowboy Brother Matt tripping on Sparks uh, <laughs> it's been a while yeah a long while Mayo Brothers, Ron and Russell, and they're just two the now. And they, dudes, huh? Yeah, and they run pewters and stuff. But in the old days, they went to England. Oh, 
with the Ashton. So I played electric bass. There's three bass players. Oh, cool. I hadn't played that song in years. Uh, what from Pedro's show? Oops. Didn't get that up quick enough. Um, that's Marsha Ball. Another woman's man. Before that, we had Sparks with Ride em, Cowboy. Brother Matt tripping on Sparks. Uh, <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah, a long while. Picking up others, Ron and Russell. And they're just two they're now. And they, dudes, huh? Yeah, and they run computers and stuff. But in the old days, they went to England. Put out this record on his Box of Plenty label because uh, he was roommates with him and Linda for a while and some jams and D Boom playing solo acoustic at clubs and non electric hammer down.
Sebastian Rector. Rector lived in Hampshire. The spectre was from Sherazina. It even dust in the air. The Rector locked his doors. solo acoustic at clubs and non electric hammer down makes you still think some folks just don't understand I live each few minutes I can spend with you so I just keep Ah, come on! I'm so 
Bot from Pedro Show. That was some live meat puppets. Hot pink. From uh, the channel Boston 1990. Before that, we had Like a Ghost on Fire, which was uh, myself, Thurston Moore on guitar, and Talia singing. Something I did at Thunderpants, a little studio. I got my iPad. Was a trippy record. It's part of this compilation called You've Got Your Orders, where this cat gave us like 22, 23 different people um, song titles and said, Make a song out of this. That's one. He gave me the title, Like a Ghost on Fire, so that's what I picked. Before that, uh, Don't Know What I Am by The Wipers on their first album. Genetic, B side from Sonic Youth. Mr. Ronaldo on the singing. Uh, Pepita from Calexico, off their new record. And we started off with Spectre versus Rector, The Fall. Uh, coming at the end now, another Watt from Pedro show, the September 5th, 2003 edition. Brother Matt, thank you very much for essential aid and abetting. Um, I'm going to go away for a week to do these Stooges gigs overseas. Oh, I wanted to tell you, you know that band, The Fever? We played there that song, Pony Boy. Well, uh, looking on the credits, turns out the bass player's name is Pony. So maybe that is his theme song. So you you'd mentioned you're going to be doing the Chili Peppers thing coming up, too. Oh, that's right. Chili Pepper Tour, opening up for them on the West Coast, and U.S. and Canada. October 8th, October 29th. Myself and the second man. Cool. And uh, the Flaming Lips in the middle spot for the U.S. gigs. And, uh, yeah, it'll be a trip. I know Jaron and Pete's never played arenas and sheds, so... Yeah, it'll be fun. Mind blow for them. And uh, then uh, we'll get to record that next album. Cool. So, uh, everybody, uh, summer's almost done. Fall's coming. So... Get your sweaters on and keep your powder dry.